Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now, to Dave Hooker. Ready. Boy, absolutely loaded up today. Welcome to the program. And we're just going to go at it with an outside perspective later today. Josh Heupel versus Shane Beamer. Who goes into the ring? Who comes out unscathed? The recent column on MikeFarrellSports.com. So we will be joined by Matthew Perkins as he breaks down Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel. Also, is Southern California the most dysfunctional athletic department in the nation? We'll have the latest on Tennessee's basketball team. They lose a player, but might well be better because of it. And also, a new segment that we'll have that we're looking forward to, Smoky Hot Takes. So, good morning to you. Good afternoon, whenever you may be watching, go ahead and click that like button if you haven't subscribed. We greatly appreciate that. Caleb Calhoun, how are you, sir? I am doing very well. And when we say smoky hot, we're not talking about ourselves, even though we are. <laughs> Pretty smoky hot. I will give you that. Let's go ahead and get it rolling right now with Tennessee's football schedule strength being ranked. What? This cannot be the case. I thought it would be like maybe top 25. It's way higher than that. So what the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. What the H? Today brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. Use the promo code offthehook to get 20% off. Off the hook to get 20% off, and that you'll be taken care of with chill pills that will help with your pet's digestive issues or pain issues from arthritis. Also, with that CBD derivative, they can help with anxiety. Use the promo code off the hook, crafttreats.com. Off the hook promo code, get 20% off. So, Tennessee's schedule, I've looked at it. I feel like I have a pretty good working knowledge of the Vols. I would say if you just ask me without knowing, we went over this in our production meeting at 5 a.m. each and every day. But if you ask me without knowing, I would say, Caleb, top 20 at best. So where are the Vols in terms of strength of schedule? Because this is important if it comes down to Tennessee is around that four or five mark. It's not like the old BCS days where it was formulaic. We have a committee, but this is significant. And I was frankly surprised, but I think it's good news for the Vols. Yeah, so the FPI, Football Power Index, based on the FPI projections of every team, has Tennessee football schedule strength at number eight, which is fifth in the SEC. So it's in the higher end of the SEC. And even if it was just in the SEC West, Tennessee would have the fourth highest schedule if they played in the SEC West behind Ole Miss, Auburn, and Arkansas. Which is really, really weird because, Dave, you and I both look at this and, look, 
these are like this is analytically based. This isn't some bias or some guy somebody doing shoddy reporting. No, this is based on numbers. They're saying based on the way they formulate the FPI, Tennessee is projected to have the eighth toughest strength of schedule this year, which blows my mind because I've been saying for a while the biggest reason 11 and 1 is on the table is because their schedule is a lot easier than it looks. The only thing I could think of is the FBI does take margin of victory and returning talent into account, and they take road games into account. When you factor all those in, I know you don't like to hear it, Dave, but there's a lot of data to suggest Missouri could be a very dangerous team this year, which adds to the toughness. Vanderbilt finished strong last year, and Kentucky is still always a relatively tough team under Mark Stoops. So maybe that's where they're getting it from. So how much of this, and you may not know, but if this is flip-flopped in terms of this is an even number year where you have Florida at home, you have Alabama as opposed to vice versa, how much do you think that affects it? A lot, a lot. I think largely because the teams right below Florida and Alabama, their other two road games are two SEC teams that are considered by the FBI to be dangerously, to be dangerous this year, which are Kentucky and Missouri. So quite honestly, Tennessee's only tough home game is Georgia and maybe South Carolina, which I, I would believe the FPI would be high on. Yeah, and but outside of those two, I, I don't see them being that high on Texas A&M because they do base past production. And what we saw last year from Texas A&M shouldn't suggest that the FPI would rate them high. So I think it becomes pretty clear that Tennessee – by and large, their tougher games are on the road this year, with that one major exception of Georgia. Sure. So Tennessee plays in Nashville, Virginia. We both think that's going to be a win. Austin P in Neyland Stadium, that'll be a win. Then they go to Florida at Gainesville. It's always a tough place to play, and there are going to be talented players on the field. But this is not a program that is in the best of shape. And then the University of Texas San Antonio is better than a lot of people might think. They got a pretty good quarterback coming back. But that's still probably a winnable, a, a, a almost surefire win game. South Carolina, we've talked about the revenge factor. How much does that play into it? We could say the same thing on Missouri's side of it if we want to. So they host South Carolina, Texas A&M, then at Alabama, Kentucky in Lexington, UConn should be a win. Missouri, again, it's going to be a revenge game for them. Georgia at Neyland Stadium, that's the national champion. So that's going to be a tough game. Then Vanderbilt on the, or excuse me, at home as well. So I look at this schedule, and I think there's only one surefire loss if, if you want to take a step back and be objective just because of where Georgia's program is. We would have said the same thing about Alabama last year, but. You know, that's the only one that they're going to be significant underdogs. In. And by significant, Caleb, I mean seven points or more. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. I think I think what they're looking at is there's like tiers with the schedule stream. When it comes to like top tier powerhouse foes, Tennessee is not near the same level as a lot of other teams in terms of the schedule strength that they have. But what you see is and by the way, this used to go in basketball all the time. Bruce Pearl was a master manipulator of this. And I never blamed him when he was at Tennessee. One of his focuses was to, you know, when you have those sure November and December wins in college basketball, he would say, let's play the best team from these smaller conferences because they're sure wins, but they, that helps us manipulate the RPI to have a higher strength of schedule by numbers. And I think that's what's happening here, which is that that lower tier of teams that Tennessee should beat. There's a lot more of those on Tennessee scheduled this year than in previous years, but those lower tier teams happen to be on the higher end of the lower tier teams in college football. I mean, UTSA, we're talking about it, Texas San Antonio. They're one of the, maybe the five best group of five schools in college football this year. If you were to rank group of five programs in college football, you'd have Texas San Antonio in the top five. Now Tennessee would be, should be all those teams by 30, 35, 40, but at the same time, that still technically skews the schedule strength in their favor. Okay, so where where does the rest of the SEC, in particular the SEC East, rank in terms of schedule strength? So the rest of the SEC East, Tennessee is second. Only Florida is ahead of them at number – Florida's number three in the nation and second in the SEC overall. 
Ole Miss has the toughest schedule in the country, and they're ranked number one. Auburn is ranked number, number one in the nation. Number one in the nation. Yeah. Ole Miss okay. is ranked number one in the nation. By the way, again, sometimes this is skewed because think about this for a minute. Let's just take Florida, for, for instance, and Tennessee. Those two teams have to play Georgia. That beefs up their strength of schedule. Well, Georgia can't play Georgia to beef up their own strength of schedule. So by being elite, a lot of times that's going to hurt your strength of schedule on the numbers. And that that makes it a little tricky. But that's why Georgia and Alabama are not in the top 10. But yeah, Ole Miss is number one. Minnesota is number two. And that's a shocker, too, because they're in the Big Ten West. And again, who considers the Big Ten West that elite? I mean, that's that's barely a power five division. And then you have Florida, number three, Maryland, number four. Maryland makes sense because they have to play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Auburn, number five, Arkansas, number six, Michigan State, number seven, Tennessee, number eight, Rutgers, number nine, and Indiana, number 10, and South Carolina comes in right at number 11. It's a good news for Tennessee that, I mean, their schedule didn't change overnight, but the the simple fact is it's it's viewed as one of the toughest schedules in the nation so if you woke up no nothing changed as of you know the middle of the night the schedule didn't change but this does help tennessee i would think that i would think that these these guys on the committee take a look at strength of schedule sometimes i don't know what they're thinking but if you're top 10 to me really if you're top 20 to top 25 in the schedule ranking caleb you should be considered even keel with everyone else that would be my take on that you should be considered that you are you have have played played a tough enough schedule to be considered with the top teams in the nation and that it shouldn't be a factor it's when you get down to the 40s and the 50s that it should be held against you but to me everybody in the top 20 top 25 is kind of a wash there as far as if you're in that top 20 top 25 i'm not going to hold schedule against you I'm pretty much right where you are. It's it, partially because a lot of times people can't fully control the schedule strength. I mean, you make these schedules three, four years in advance. I'm pretty sure when Tennessee scheduled Syracuse on the road to over the 98 season, they didn't think they were playing the eventual Big East champions in Donovan McNabb. <laughs> that wasn't in the cards. And so it's hard to really, you're right. I'm with you. When you, you can control, if you have a top 20 to 25 schedule, you can't really control if, if, if anything changes within that. And yeah, this day and age, this was what always separated to me when people always said, could Boise State or UCF back in the day, there'll be one power five team that's in the top 10 or top 15 in a bowl game or at the start of the year. And everybody will say, we'll see, they can compete. It's like, okay, yeah, you can do that one time when you have months, a month or months to prepare. But can you do that against at least above average power five teams on a week in and week out basis? No, you can't. And that's why, I, I don't know if you ever did, I never put stock into Boise State beating Georgia in 2011 or Boise State beating Oklahoma in 2007 or UCF beating Auburn in 2017. Yeah. Uh, I have a comment from the message board. A&M and Carolina are two death trap games. They might not be top tier, but SC was a two-score dog last year in Columbia, and they beat our butts. I, didn't, I don't remember you playing, but uh, while A&M is most likely going to be much better this year, the biggest trap game to me, if I ranked them, would be Kentucky one, AM, which you and I differ a little bit on two. Um, I guess if, and, and then I would go Missouri, South Carolina, trap game. Trap game to me is one you overlook. You're not going to overlook South Carolina after what happened last year. No chance. Yeah. So I got two trap games, and that's it, which is. I've got Kentucky on the road, which is indeed a trap game. Even though Kentucky, you're not going to overlook Kentucky. The good news for Tennessee is because I believe Kentucky is right after Alabama. And so really Kentucky is a trap game in that it could be a hangover game more than anything. And then, yes, Missouri is a trap game because you could overlook Missouri looking to Georgia. South Carolina, I don't see that as a trap game. Tennessee has a bye going. Tennessee has a bye after the South Carolina game. They're not going to overlook that. Texas A&M is theoretically a trap game because Alabama's right after, but I don't think they're a trap game. I, again, I, I'm insisting the bottom's going to fall out. I, I may be eating crow because I'm saying this, I feel like, every other day <laughs> on our show, but I, I have a feeling that A&M's going to go 3-9 and nine this year. This Jimbo Fisher-Bobby Petrino experiment's not going to work out. Well, I don't think it will either, but 
the one thing I do like about the hire, I think Bobby Petrino is a fundamental guy. So he could have them play cleaner football. I'm not saying he's going to have them play an innovative football, but cleaner football in year one. And that could be his impact. Then there's kind of a glass ceiling. Today's tough question now brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Hahn as the Vols get the final word from Euros. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Hahn, your home in Knoxville for local vision care, whether that is LASIK, cataracts, or just your regular annual visit. That's them. Euros Plastic says goodbye to Tennessee. See ya, I'm out. Today's tough question. Will the Vols be better after losing one of their key players next year than they were this past year, where we thought that Euros was going to be a guy who you could dump it in in the post and he could find shooters on the perimeter, but that really didn't happen because Tennessee shooters. I'm not sure how much of that was Euros's fault as opposed to defenses backing up with the at the three-point line. But the bottom line is, I'll ask you this, Tennessee's basketball team significantly better this season than it was last year. Yes. Yes, this is a lot. This is addition by subtraction if there ever was one. And look, Euros did not develop the way we all thought he would when he transferred from Arizona State to Tennessee. He was a 7-1-260 guy. Rick Barnes is known for developing guys over three to four years. I think it's be, it's more than safe to say his career at Tennessee was a massive disappointment. He was averaging last year, what, five points, four rebounds. And his his field goal percentage was 63% from, two, for, from the field, which you expect with big men who shoot at point blank range all the time. But he was 34% from the foul line. He was so clumsy when he came down with the, when he came down with rebounds. It was so bad that you noticed, and Kentucky laid the groundwork for how to beat Tennessee this year. They just left Euros open and said, "We're going to defend the perimeter because we don't think Tennessee's bigs are enough are good enough." And as you noticed, more teams started to play that. Tennessee couldn't play inside out because the idea of inside out is you collapse on the inside, and nobody was ever going to collapse on the inside when Euros was down there. So on Euros, on his skill set alone, I think this is addition by subtraction. But and, and I don't know how he's going to think he's going to play professional. I don't know where he's going to play professional, honestly. But then there's the other side to it of what you said. There was only really one option as far as three-point shooting last year, and it was Santiago Vescovi. Now, the other guys may have been good spot-up shooters, but they couldn't shoot with a hand in their face, and they were always going to have a hand in their face last year because – Nobody was going to collapse on the inside. I noticed this year with Rick Barnes, he's gone for more spot-up shooters, which is fine. I think he's banking on Jonas Adu taking a huge leap forward and being able to command a huge presence in the post. And if that happens, then having three, four spot-up shooters like Jordan Ganey, the son of assistant coach Justin Ganey, who transferred, and Dalton Knecht, who comes from Northern Colorado, along with Viscovi back, that's a pretty good situation to have. And I also, again, I'm hearing a lot of things about Freddie DeLeon. He was a four-star midterm combo guard, uh, red-shirted this past year. He'll technically be a freshman this year. He's 6'5", apparently is an elite, elite shooter. And I mean, we're talking a guy that's an elite shooter with pro prospects in him. So I think that him with Vescovi, there are at least two guys now that can create or make something happen, even if they don't collapse on the post. But on top of that, you have to think that Jonas Adu will be a bigger threat and draw more attention than Urosh Plavchik. I thought that the more Plavchik played last year, the more Adu lost minutes. And with J.P. Estrella and Cade Phillips coming in, two other big men, I think they should have better bigs this year. But also have transitioned their game to at least focus more on a guard-oriented style, which is where college basketball is going, and it's where it went 20 years ago, and Rick Barnes never had never adjusted. Okay, but what's... The bigger concern, having better bigs or better outside shooters? Better outside shooters. Better outside shooters. I think Tennessee had an I think Tennessee had decent bigs last year. If you remember, Josiah Jordan James can play big. He can play the four in college. Now he can't do that in the NBA if he ever goes there and he's still testing the waters. But 
He's six six and athletic. He can play down low. And Olivier Kamwa was still pretty good under the basket. So they were decent enough with their bigs last year. They didn't have enough. They didn't have enough guys who could create with a hand in their face or with somebody on them on the perimeter. Yeah, I did. I think Tennessee's a better team with Euros back. To be honest with you, I don't know that we know his upside because the outside shooters couldn't take some of the relief off of him. He didn't have that option to kick it outside. So I'm not so sure that they wouldn't be better with, I don't know that we know what Euros was because that people would just clamp down and play defense on him. That, that wasn't what the offense was designed to do. And it wasn't his fault that his outside guys couldn't hit three point shots. So I don't know. I, I'd rather have a, the big guy back. Um, I'm not saying he was great, but I'd, I'd rather have him and have guys hitting threes than anything else. How much better could he have been if they hit threes and they're supposed to hit? Somewhat better, but spot, the, the idea of good bigs is spot-up shooters. The idea of spot-up shooters is that your bigs are good enough to where they'll be open on the perimeter, and they never were. And again, I think they're fine. I think Jonas Adu can do what Plastic did and do it better. And he's back. And so Jonas Adu, 6'11", 235. He's not Plastic's size, but he's good enough for college basketball. And I mean, again, Plastic is kind of proof that in this day and age in basketball, seven-footers need to have skills. They just do. You, you can't just use your size and will your way to buckets the way you used to be able to in the sport. And... I think Adu can do it. And again, Kate Phillips and JP Estrella are coming in. That's two more bigs. And I believe that they probably have more skill than Plastic. One of them's bound to, not to mention Toby Awaka's still there. So you're kind of fine with your bigs. The big thing is that Tennessee needed a change in philosophy and to have better creators and scores on the perimeter. And I do think they got that through the transfer portal. So I think they're going to be much, much, much better this year. Yep. Maybe I sound old school, but I'm going with Mr. Jones on the message board. Seven footers don't grow on trees. So as a like whole, that guy who still teaches big men to play like Kevin McHale. Well, don't, don't you not Kevin McHale, my Celtics. Do they finally hang it up tonight? I think so. Uh, coming up on the program next, Shane Beamer versus Josh Hopple. Thought we'd get a fresh perspective, an outside perspective. It's a debate that rages on our YouTube channel. So, uh, we will be joined by a very special guest, Matt Perkins of uh, MikeCarrollSports.com. He wrote a column on that. And also the top impact true freshman did evolve make the list. Stay tuned. We'll be back. You give me two minutes, I'll give you all kinds of info. Thanks to Matt Perkins. So hang tight. Right back with you. Two minutes off the Sports. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. 
When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard! The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. So I think sometimes we get a little bit too stuck in our lane as analysts that cover Tennessee and you out there that are fans that root for Tennessee. And I think there's this thought process that Josh Heupel, and I'm not saying I disagree with it, but I'm just going to throw it out there, that Josh Heupel is the second coming of Steve Steve Spurrier and all other young coaches are not comparable. And there are a lot of people in Columbia, South Carolina, that would disagree with that. So I want to bring in Matt Perkins. And we're having a little bit of an echo issue, Matt, so I'll go ahead and apologize for that. I love the issues. But, um, Matt, first of all, thanks for joining us. You wrote a column on Josh Heupel versus Shane Shane Beamer, and I want to get to that. But talk about your work, how people can follow what you do. I know you're with Mike there, and Mike does a fantastic job. Thanks for making that Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Um, yeah, so I'm the editor-in-chief over at MikeFarrellSports.com, and uh, you guys can check out all of our work there. We've got a, a great team covering recruiting, college football, the draft, and you know it's a, a lot of fun. We have a lot of diverse opinions on the site, which is something I really appreciate because, like you said here in the intro, a lot of fans tend to get stuck in their lane. You can see by the Motion W behind me, I went to Wisconsin, and I can get stuck in Badger Brain sometimes too, and it's a blind spot. So I'm always trying to sort of push myself and push our writers to sort of think outside of their blind spots. Well, and and let's – I think that's important, and I think an outside – perspective can bring a lot so when i don't know if you were a, you're the editor-in-chief maybe you assigned yourself but when you decided to tackle shane beamer versus josh heupel what were your initial thoughts before you started to dig into it so i've been doing a series of what we've been calling coach debates i i write, I write two, of two of them every, every week, week and i try to get coaches who are at least at a similar point in their careers and i thought that heupel and Beamer, two SEC East rivals, and two guys who are really on the come up after very strong second seasons at their schools um, uh, was a sort of a perfect match here. And one of, I, going into it, I was like, I know I love, uh, I love Hypel's offense, right? I wrote that it might be a little bit gimmicky, but if the gimmick works, the gimmick works. It doesn't matter. As long as you're putting up points on the board, I don't care how you get there. If you're running a wing T or if you're running Heupel's uh, wide splits, which is a fantastic offense to the strengths of Hendon Hooker. He found a perfect marriage right there. Joe Milton, to me, is going to be very interesting to see. But going back to the debate between... Uh, Beamer and uh, and Heupel, I just thought that sort of these two guys have a bit of a different approach, and I thought that it was a uh, just an I- intriguing look because I, I I know a lot of South Carolina people in my life. I live in Nashville. I know a lot of UT fans, and both of them really hype up their guys. And I thought I just wanted to delve in a little bit deeper. All right, joined by Matthew Perkins again of uh, MikeFarrellSports.com. I would highly suggest uh, checking that out. So how did you judge each? How much did you factor in recruiting? How much did you factor in their offenses, the ability to put together assistance, the transfer portal, managing NIL, all of that? What what all did you factor into who's the best young coach in the SEC East? I didn't factor in NIL because in a lot of 
schools and places, the head coach can only do so much with the NIL given the constrictions of laws in different states, et cetera. So I, I wanted to keep that out. I wanted to look at everything else, though, recruiting, portal, scheming. And to me, Hypo came out on top because his offense works. And you have an offense that can travel. And at the end of the day, I trust his offense to work with a wider skill set of players. And the other thing I don't necessarily trust yet is, uh, you know, we've seen Spencer Rattler be good at times. I don't necessarily trust his choice of quarterbacks because I am not a Spencer Rattler guy at all. And so, you know, that is one thing I would worry. I'm also worried about, you know, about the portal exits, especially of, of Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. He was set to be an absolute stud in that offense this year. He leaves to go to Florida State alongside Kyle Morlock, one of the uh, other biggest tight ends in the portal. And, and you just got to wonder why something like that happens when a guy was definitely going to be a feature in the offense. So that being said, you know, I think both these guys are pretty equal in recruiting right now. You look at both, you know, Nico Malva, who is an absolute stud. I am very bullish about the future here. I'm not as high on Joe Milton for this season. He did great against Clemson, but I think the accuracy issues are going to rear their head at some point. At the end of the day, though, I would still take Heifel over the uh, Matt, it, you threw out something with Spencer Rattler and the quarterback choosing, but we did see how they ended the season last year, and Spencer Rattler was really the reason for that. I mean, I he kept Tennessee out of the college football playoff. I think he scored a touchdown every single drive, and except one. I'm not even exaggerating on that. And but are, are we sure that Spencer Rattler was having issues or was, was it just until they didn't utilize him right until the end of the season? Well, if they weren't utilizing him, right, that's on Beamer, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, that's, you know, and, and that's part of the issue at the yeah, end of the, the day. Of and so if, you know, you have to know how to use their talent and maximize their talent from the get go, it's not like those first 10 games didn't count for South Carolina. They count just as much as the last few games on the schedule in the win and loss column. So I will take the body of work, especially as we look at last season, uh, uh, you know, as a whole, I would much prefer the, you know, what we saw out of Tennessee. And, you know, I, I see in the comments, like Joe Milton going to compete for a Heisman. He definitely has a chance if he's fixed these accuracy issues, because we know he can drive it deep. We know he can drive it deep. I'm curious to see, how sort of a new set of receivers losing, you know, the top two guys and Hyatt and Tillman is really going to affect the offense, but they're going to be able to put up points. We know that. And that's, again, I know that a hypo offense is going to put up points, which is why I'll take him at the end of the day, even if I really like the way that Beamer is recruiting with guys like Nichols Harbor. Right, Matt Perkins, again, joining us from MikeFarrellSports.com. You want to play a little game with us there, Matt, to break these guys down? Let's do it. All right, Four Downs is brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. And we got Matt Perkins with us to talk Beamer versus Hypel. Who comes out on top? Here we go. Four Downs. Four Questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Bells. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, I got some quick ones for you. They're brought to you by AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Best service, best prices in the biz. AndyMasonRealEstate.com in Knoxville. Over 40 years of experience in that office. First down. Who will be at their current school longer? Beamer or Heifel? Heifel. Hypo. Yes, because that. I think Tennessee is more of a destination job at the end of the day than South Carolina. And I, I, I think that there is a love between I, I think that there is this, uh, you know, resonance between Hypo and the community in Knoxville. You know, I, I don't live there. Like I said, I live in Nashville, but I can feel it from Nashville. Right. I can feel I can feel the connection of and I just think that at the end of the day, Beamer is more likely to jump to a bigger gig than South Carolina. I agree with everything you said, but just know that people are going to rip you on my YouTube channel because they ripped me. <laughs> I get I get ripped in every column I write, so you know I'm used to it. That's right. I got a question for both you guys, though. Can you? This is a really, and I know we're. If you're a 
coach up and coming, not like a Steve Spurrier or Lou Holtz. Can you do well enough at South Carolina to get a job somewhere else? Like to get a job at a bigger program? Yeah, that's interesting because they're. I, I, I absolutely think that you can. You can, you know, go eight and four. You can go nine and three, and that can be viewed as good enough if you get third in the SEC East in back-to-back years, finishing behind Georgia and Tennessee, maybe pulling an upset against Tennessee. Right? You, I could see someone at a at a bigger program than South Carolina. You know, even you know. Dabo, let's say Dabo goes on. I don't think I don't think it's a fit at Clemson, right? I don't think you know. But you know, a bigger program, you could see success like eight and four, nine and three for a couple of seasons. I think that could definitely translate to a bigger gig. There are high expectations in South Carolina, which would scare me to take that job. And it leads me to second down. Who is more likely to be fired? Is it Heupel or Beamer? I'm I'm gonna say. I'm going to say Beamer as well. You mentioned those high expectations, but I don't see either of these guys being fired for, for a minute. I see both these guys more likely to go off. I think if Hype believes it's for the NFL, I know some guys in the comments are saying that too. And uh, you know, I, I would agree with that. If Hype does go somewhere, it's going to be the NFL. I could see Beamer though leading for another college position and more likely to be fired if things go downhill quickly, especially with the expectations that are coming with getting these better and better recruiting classes. Will either or third down? Will either or both win an SEC title? Hypo will. Beamer won't. Okay. Last. I think. Fourth. By the way, Hypo yes. will win an SEC, SEC title, title in the twenty twenty five season. That's my prediction. Okay, I like that. Um, I like that a little more than the twenty twenty four. We've heard that several times, but they lose a lot headed into twenty twenty four. So, I like that take. Um, last one. Uh, uh, fourth down. It's a possession down, Matt, so you don't want to mess this up. You're starting Perkins University. Okay. It's a prestigious university. Obviously. Who? It sounds like, I think I know your answer now based off what you've said during your time with us. Do you take Beamer or Heupel to be your head football coach? I'm taking Heupel. Offense, the offense travels. All right. Great stuff. Again, how do people follow your work, Matt? Um, check us out, MikeFarrellSports.com. Uh, my Twitter is at underscore Perco underscore. Uh, I'm tweeting out all of my my work there as well as I produced a, actually a Wisconsin Badgers podcast and just uh, dropped part one of a four-part special with Melvin Gordon, Daria Gumbawale, and the rest of the former Badger players who have formed Vibes Golf Club, B-I-B-E-Z. I'm also producing a documentary about them right now. Uh, and that's sort of uh, the other big project on my docket at the moment. And you're a go-getter. Tell Mike I said hello. I will. Mike's the best. Yeah, Mike is. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it, Matt. Yeah, Perkins. appreciate you, Dave. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. Um, Matt. Matt Perkins joins us from uh, MikeFarrellSports.com. So there's an outside view of Beamer and Heupel that pretty much falls in line with what we said. And I, th- I think that Heupel has the greater upside. I feel like Beamer is a good coach for South Carolina, and some South Carolina fans are going to take this as a shot. Until they prove me otherwise, I don't see South Carolina being a national championship program. I think Tennessee has proven that they are a national championship type of program. They have that support. They proved that in 1998. They proved that they were on the verge in 2001. Do you see South Carolina ever knocking on that door of a fourteen college football playoff? You see them being in Atlanta representing the East. Caleb, that seems like a massive leap to me. Yeah. And and isn't this why Steve Spurrier resigned in the first place? He took over South Carolina because he wanted a new challenge, and I thought he did as good of a job as you could do there. And then the SEC East got a little bit better. And then in 2015 with South Carolina, like two and four, he just abruptly resigned because we know Spurrier just, he does that. But I think what went into his decision is after bordering on 11 years there, he kind of came to the realization that he's maxed out what can be done at the school and that it really, you just can't do more than that. No, I agree. Uh, Jacob Warren will join us on our YouTube channel today. And I've got some things I want to talk to Jacob about in light of some really insensitive comments, kind of get his thoughts inside the locker room and, and what 
it means to be a teammate. You know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Phil Sims' son, Matt, accused Tennessee of uh, being segregated in their football program. We've had a couple of, of other issues that uh, of race. And I'm just curious. It's a different generation. Um, if, if there's any issues, I, I wouldn't think so at this point. But Jacob will remind you of what you need to do to hear the Vol report. Brought to you by, of course, Vassie Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive from Knoxville, from Nashville, from Chattanooga. They're in Cleveland, Tennessee, industrial mowers, commercial mowers. And what should they do, uh, Jacob Warren, to hear your ball report? What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. And so does Caleb. So back in two minutes. And then, why the most dysfunctional athletic department happens to be one of the most traditional laden athletic departments. And I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Two minutes back at you off the sports. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986, each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry jewelry designs. I'm a jeweler. And I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vassie Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vassie, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassie's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you can do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. From the message board I posted, I see... Shane Beamer going back to Wapak. The Beamer family is still very, very, very beloved there. So from the message board, only problem is that uh, I I live in Virginia, and all I hear is the tech stuff all the time. Well, I don't think he's going to resurrect tech to be anything special. I mean, I don't – this is – I mean, tech is tech. They have a glass ceiling. They had to have a generational – player that changed the game to get a national championship type of hunt. Yes, they were solid defensively, but what can you really do at Vautec? To me, it has a glass ceiling just like South South Carolina. Well, I got to give them credit. Remember 2004, I will never forget this. And you probably, you were in the thick of covering it, but there have been two times where conference realignment made people think someone was going to dethrone the SEC. The first was the creation of the Big 12 in 96. Remember that, Dave? And everybody thought that was going to dethrone the SEC. 
and now and then now the Big 12 may go defunct. The other one was in 2004 when Miami and Virginia Tech joined the ACC. Because remember, at that time, those were the those were the top tier teams in the Big East. Virginia Tech would have one loss every year, and it'd be to Miami, and they'd be top five teams every year. And everybody thought, oh, those two with Florida State, they're going to surpass the SEC as the toughest conference. And then Virginia Tech just straight up dominated the ACC for the next like seven years, winning the conference every year almost with Miami falling apart. I think the only year Virginia Tech didn't win it was there was one year Matt Ryan was at Boston College. So they had a nice little run. But yeah, the minute Florida State kind of reemerged and rebuilt itself and Clemson came back, Virginia Tech really fell by the wayside after that. All right. So the just worst athletic department right now in the nation is whom because they've got some issues and it has nothing to do with the fact that they still have the Heisman trophy up for a man who committed a double murder. So why is Southern California? I, I, I can't, I don't know why I laugh every time that like we talk about the well, It's just, it, it's just very, it's still very bizarre that he got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why is Southern California the biggest train wreck since Alabama of the 90s? So I want to be clear up front. We're going to go into this issue with Southern California. If I were to name the top five biggest scandals in college athletics the last 25 years, none of these issues at USC would crack that top five. The thing with USC, it's it's the volume of issues that they've had. Wait a second. So the paying players like Reggie Bush wouldn't be? In the top 10? Not when you got the Larry Na- Larry Nasser scandal at Michigan State and the Jerry Sandusky scandal at Penn State. Yeah, that's kind of a whole different level. But as far as That's what I mean, college... scandals in college athletics. I mean, there's some really serious ones. Alabama scandal this past year in basketball, I think, surpasses anything of USC. Okay, but those are felonious breaking the law sort of things. To, to, if you just did breaking NCAA rules, they're number one with a bullet. Yes, they are because they have. Well, and, and look, there's some, there are personal scandals, failings with USC too that we're going to get to. It's just, again, those personal failings aren't as bad as the personal moral failings at other schools. So, just for everybody to go back through history, this started in the heat of their dynasty. They call it a dynasty. They won one outright national championship in 2004, but they call it a dynasty. And then there was the whole Reggie Bush thing. So, Reggie Bush happens. Lane Kiffin gets hired from Tennessee to USC. As he's hired from Tennessee to USC, it comes to light that USC committed all these violations. They were going on probation. And Lane Kiffin himself committed a ton of violations at Tennessee and had to sit in on NCAA violation hearings at Tennessee while head coach at USC. The athletic director of USC at the time, Mike Garrett, lashed out at the NCAA, said everybody's jealous that they're not Trojans. He's removed. I'm sure you remember all of that, Dave, because you were in the thick of it covering Tennessee at the time. Yes. No, I I remember all of that. I I remember writing the story how Lane Kiffin would be at best the 12th selection by Southern California. And that story ran the day that he left. So it didn't even run. Well, yeah, he didn't even they wanted Jack Del Rio. They wanted a ton of different people. And I think they all said no because they were afraid of the sanctions. It didn't even run on the front page, Caleb. And Tennessee football always ran on the front page of the sports section, ran on the inside that there's no way he would leave. So I do want to clarify one thing really quick, and it was on our message board. Uh, Tom pointed that out. You know, when we talk about the Sandusky stuff, that's crimes against humanity. I mean, that's disgusting. That's on a whole different level. But if you want to talk about Southern Cal and and the paying of players, and there's hundreds of thousands of dollars going to Reggie Bush and possibly OJ Mayo for housing. That's a top 10 one to me in my lifetime because that was so widespread. Taking out the really disgusting crimes against humanity. I don't, there's a reason that I chose sports instead of news. I don't even want to get into all that stuff at Michigan State and at Penn State. Um, But I think that's right up at the top. And I want to compare it as a backdrop to Alabama in the 90s because Alabama, let's remember. They went Before you go there, Jake, I do think we should bring up why we're bringing this up now, the news story behind it. Okay, cool. Right, go there, but uh, I, I do want to compare to Alabama after winning the national championship in 92. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Talk so about. the reason we're bringing this up, guys, is athletic director Mike Bone resigned last Friday. Uh, LA Times reports there was a very uncomfortable culture uh, that was there. 
and part of that was personal conduct failings. The Times also reported that people raised concerns about Bone while he was at Cincinnati, where he was athletic director from 2014 to 2019. Sounds like he was reportedly making unwanted physical contact with women on several occasions, including touching their shoulders or backs in a way that made them visibly uncomfortable. And there was some criticism of mismanagement. This is right as they're about to join the Big Ten. So we're saying all this now because this is a, by any account, this is a scandal-ridden resignation. Yes, no doubt. So here's what Alabama went through after winning a national championship in 1992 with Gene Stallings. They went through a scandal in which they reportedly paid Albert Means, was it $300,000 or two eighty? It was right in there. And I can tell you that Tennessee definitely believed they did it because I've read the letter that Philip Fulmer sent to uh, then-Commissioner Roy Kramer. Um, and then Alabama also had a situation in which they ran through coaches. Um, they hired one goofball after another. One of them was Mike Price, who was involved in a situation in which he was with a lady of the night. And at, this was at a booster golf tournament. Talk about the gall. And then he goes out to play golf after a Friday night of her yelling roll tide and he's while he's playing golf, she calls room service and I'll take one of everything on the menu. So they contacted my price and said, this seems like a weird order. Uh, are you okay in this? So, and, and then there were, there were issues that just seemed like Alabama at Alabama every year. And that's hard to, for some of you that are younger than, than me, that's hard to imagine how good they have been. Mike Shula was a train wreck of a Don't forget hire. Antonio Langham, the ineligible player before Albert Means. Yeah, right Antonio Langham. And then the the decent coach they had, um, you might have to help me on this, um, reportedly had a, a, a relationship with his secretary. So um, help me Franchoni? with his name. What's that? Dennis Franchoni? No, Dennis Franchoni is good, but Dennis Franchoni was another semi-scandal because he left in the middle of the night and surprised Alabama to go to a TCU, I believe. Oh, so, I think, yeah, according to Alabama rule, it was Mike DeBose who had the affair yeah, with who were Mike DeBose uh, reportedly had an affair with the secretary, right? I mean, this is it was as bad as you could get. Is Southern Cal what they're going through now worse? The same better is not the right word comparable to me they're incredibly comparable yes yeah, so let's let's just go in order on everything that's happened since the national title in 2005 and then the law to texas in 2006 the reggie bush investigation opens the oj mayo investigation opens pete carroll bails on usc before the sanctions come down because they got busted for reggie bush Tim Floyd gets fired, and the basketball program and the football program both get with hits hit, hit with sanctions. My, Mike Garrett is gone. Then Lane Kiffin comes in, has a sanction side of Tennessee. I brought that up. Lane Kiffin's fired by Pat Hayden, who brings in, wait for it, Steve Sarkeesian. And we know what happened with Steve Sarkeesian, who had a massive alcohol problem. By the yeah, way, here's, here's why, to me, that alcohol problem is bigger than just Steve Sarkeesian is because listen, I know people that have had problems with alcohol and other drugs. I feel for them in a lot of situations and I hope they get help. And it is a real issue. I don't doubt that at all. I'm not going to get in the debate of whether or not it's a disease. You can have that. You can believe what you want. That's fine. But the fact that it got to the point where he showed up at a booster function and was intoxicated speaking to everyone and they didn't nip it in the bud right there. And then he showed up at a Sunday morning football meeting intoxicated. That's a sign that it's systemic. You've let it go way too far. So that's not one man's problem. That's an athletic department, not stepping up and say, this isn't acceptable. Let's either get you help or let's fire you. Yeah. And Hayden admitted that USC never did a public record search of Sarkeesian which apparently it was very much out there that he had had a number of alcohol-related incidents, I think dating back to Washington. And and let's not forget they hired him, um, Hayden, they, they hired him from television. And at one point he ran on the sideline to debate 
some call that the referees made. He's an athletic director. What are you doing down there? Yeah, it was one of those situations where I will never forget. And I, I, I remember watching when Steve Sarkeesian was fired. And we all understood why Steve Sarkeesian had to go. But I think the, the scandal was they didn't fire Pat Hayden with them. Like, that would have been like if Tennessee stuck with Philip Fulmer after firing Jeremy Pruitt. Like, I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me how Pat Hayden was able to stay on. For, he only lasted another year. But still, lasting another year and being able to determine USC's next football coach, which he did, and Clay Helton, I mean, that was just, what? And cause, Because there, it was so obvious that, I, I don't want to say USC covered for his alcoholism, or his alcohol problem, but they certainly didn't help it. They certainly enabled it. And they cert- and forget the moral wrongness of covering for someone who has an alcohol problem. You That's a detriment to your program on its, on its own. If you let a coach, I mean, I, Dave, you have told me some stories about coaches at different places that they helped, they, they somewhat derailed their programs and what they, in their own careers. Well, I mean, it's also a danger to the man too, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, he, I mean, it just, there's a lot of ways that that could go south and they let that happen. So final verdict, as far as Alabama after Stallings, and they did have the Antonio Langham issue. So but Alabama, Alabama in the nineties. So you're including the Stallings years. I say general. Alabama immediately after they won the national title, like the next year was the Langham scandal. Okay. So which is worse, this or what Southern Cal is going through. I think. See, they both had a head coach fired for personal failings. I think Alabama one's worse because okay, Steve Sarkeesian had a problem, but the Mike Price one. That if you compare the personal moral failings, the Mike Price one is still like number one. <laughs> uh, I I'm gonna go with Southern Cal, and you know why. It's two words, Lane Kiffin. You knew that you were, and maybe he was the sacrificial lamb and he didn't even know it. Travis says Alabama, you could probably sway me to be real honest, Travis. But when you hire Lane Kiffin, who there were questions about from the NCAA and you've already got the NCAA sniffing around, then it created a situation in which you got hammered with 35 scholarship productions a year. And... It just is that to me was the dumbest decision and it affected Tennessee fans through and through affected the landscape of the SEC, but it was the dumbest decision to hire him. No offense to Lane Kiffin, but just the look of it, the eye test, it was like you were completely tone deaf to the fact that you were already in the midst of one of the biggest pay for play scandals in the history of college athletics. You were doling out hundreds of thousands of dollars and you go out and you hire Lane Kiffin, who I, at the time I was in the middle of investigating the hostess gate thing. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's a good point. Well, remember they note, they notably thumbed their nose at the public. Mike Garrett was quoted as saying everybody in these institutions is just jealous that they're not Trojans. As they were trying to appeal their sanctions, and you're right, they hired Lane Kiffin before the sanctions came down. And you know this better than I do, Dave, because you were covering him. But as far as I'm aware, in 2009, Lane Kiffin did not have many friends in the college football institutions, did he? In elite college football circles. No, he's always been, well, not not so much now. People respect his game. But he was viewed as a guy who was standing on third base and thought he had a triple. Yeah. Because of his dad. You know, his dad was going to be able to uh, open doors for him. And he was he had an NFL arrogant shot. too. Yeah. Yeah, it came across as arrogant. I think he was really insecure in front of people is the reason. But he, he, you know, he was already an NFL coach by the time he was what? 31. 35? Oh, no, 31. He was 33 when he was hired at Tennessee. So he was 31 when he got hired by the Raiders. Yeah. All I know is I don't know who his agent is. Was Jimmy Sexton his agent? Oh yeah. <laughs> the answer to the answer to is Jimmy Sexton his agent when you're talking about college football coaches is yes. He's good. How do, so he has to he has to sell coaches against other coaches sometimes. I feel like doesn't he? <laughs> yes, but guess who ends up getting paid regardless? Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> hey now. 
right. <laughs> it works out well for him. So the biggest scandal is Alabama, the nineties or Southern Cal. Now you're going Alabama, the nineties. I'm going Southern Cal. Now. Okay. One more though. Wait, one more. And I got a question. I got a question. One more. Okay. What about Florida in the eighties? Oh, now we're throwing everybody under the bus. Okay. Florida in the eighties. You'll have to refresh me a little bit. Do, do we have paying players? Do we have ladies of the night? By the way, ladies of the night. Yes. So Florida. Next, next person that asks, next three people that ask can get a uh, a hooker shirt. How about that? Speaking both of ladies. Were, of the night. So both. So Florida had two SEC championships vacated, ironically, to Tennessee because of because of pay for play scandals. One happened Spurrier's first year in 1990. Galen Hall had a scandal that had happened four years before. And so the NCAA basically told Florida in 1990, no postseason. Florida finishes 7-1 and one in the SEC. Tennessee 6-1-1. One and one, But Tennessee gets the SEC title because Florida's on probation. Spurrier still rants to that about that to this day. He says the 1990 team was his favorite team. 1985, the beloved Sugar Vols. Tennessee and Florida had the same record that year in the SEC. Tennessee lost to Florida. But Tennessee got the SEC title, and it was Galen Hall's second year because they were under investigation, Florida, for the head coach right before Galen Hall, which I'm looking up now, was Charlie Pell. Oh, yeah, Charlie Pell. Yes. And so Charlie Pell and Galen Hall both had left the program in some trouble, so they had to vacate multiple SEC championships and multiple postseasons. And it wasn't until Spurrier got there where – Spurrier, as you and I know, didn't have to cheat because he could just help scheme anybody and then just get guys he wanted in the state of Florida. Okay. All right. So we've got we got Southern Cal, got Alabama. You think Alabama number one, right? Yes, definitely. Okay. Just for my price. I'm sorry. I had, I had Southern Cal above Alabama, but I'll go ahead and tell you right now. I'll blow both of them out of the water. You ready? Okay. It's Ole Miss. It's Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze, right? Not just under Hugh Freeze. Dating back to Ole Miss was about Ole Miss. One of the reasons they lost Peyton Manning to Tennessee was they were about to go on probation in the nineties, and they had four level one violations. Tennessee's kind of concerned about one level one violation. They had four and the four worst level thing, ones and. and Let's talk about how much of a snake they were. They tried to – they had these massive violations, and then they tried to pin them on Houston Nutt, remember? Yes, I do remember that. And and the other thing to remember about the Ole Miss scandal is that you did have ladies of the night involved. Well, that's – here's the funny thing because – and we, we see this in politics. Whenever a sex scandal happens – People get enthralled by the sex scandal and forget the deeper scandals that happened with it. And so on, honestly, it oftentimes helps the person involved in the sex scandal. So Hugh Freeze, everybody just looks at him now like, oh, he made a mistake sleeping around with prostitutes. He's reformed. But no, <laughs> the mistake, the, the the scandal was that like there was massive other level one violations of pain. That, that prostitute scandal came to light because of what he was doing to illegally to lure players to Ole Miss. And then he tried to throw Houston Nutt under the bus for it. It's kind of like Bill Clinton in the 90s. I'm not trying to get political, but everybody thought about it was the Monica scandal. It was a sex scandal. The scandal was kind of that he perjured himself and that he was under investigation for another sexual misconduct allegation from Paula Jones. But all anybody ever saw was, oh, he had an affair with an intern in the White House. And right, so, so more people talked about Hugh Freeze's escort scandal than the fact that Ole Miss was clearly paying players. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. They, they were clearly paying players and they tried to defame Houston Nutt, like just straight up libelously defame him. And, and also that he, they have lied to players. Here's the biggest scandal. Forget paying players, which because NIL, we can talk about the moral failings of paying players. Ole Miss had lot. The reason they defamed Houston Nutt so much was they wanted the current players that were committed to the class before the transfer portal to be stuck with the program once the sanctions came to light. Rebecca's laughing at the ladies of the night thing. I, I appreciate that, Rebecca, because it's nice to know that I'm not going too blue for was, uh, 
for the ladies out there. Um, but do you remember it was so bad at Ole Miss that a guy runs up to Lane Kiffin when he's getting off the plane? He goes, don't forget to get a burner phone. Do you remember <laughs> I that? I don't remember that at all. Yes. But it is hilarious that Lane Kiffin is the guy they would hire, like, after all of this. What was the class that Hugh Freeze? Uh, uh, what was the incredible class he had? What year was that? And I'll tell you. And we all we didn't we all knew they were cheating with that class. Okay, here's uh, I, that's when I was covering recruiting for ESPN. So I want to uh, I, I want I want to tell you the moment that I knew that they were cheating because I'm always the guy who kind of gives you the benefit of the doubt a little bit because. I ended up being friends with Trooper Taylor and Trooper Taylor was a great recruiter. And the immediate thing you say in recruiting is, Oh, he's cheating. And I don't think Trooper Taylor was ever cheating. I don't think Tennessee was cheating at that time when they were doing well. Here's the moment that I knew that Ole Miss was cheating. Okay. You get Robert Kim number one player in the nation by everybody. The, one, the once every decade type of guy. And you get him. His brother played for Ole Miss. So it's the old, yeah, we'll get your brother a year before as long as you make sure and end up at Ole Miss. Okay, you can roll with that. Laquan Treadwell, he was the receiver. You probably don't remember. Another five-star guy. Oh, I remember Laquan Treadwell. Okay. He had family in the Oxford area. Okay, got that one. Tony Connor, another five-star. He was a safety. I covered him very closely because he was in my area of Mississippi. Used to be Antonio Connor. Somewhere along the lines, it turned to Tony Connor. All right. He's an in-state kid. That makes sense, right? So if I'm making the argument that they're not cheating, I'm doing a pretty good job right now, right? Right. Okay. Larry Tunzel, they're cheating. I mean, for him to go to Ole Miss and not Alabama had zero ties, made zero sense. And then he ends up with the whole gas mask bong thing. And and, and so also, I I believe Laramie Tunsil was born in Louisiana, grew up in Florida. Alabama is a premier program. Where does Ole Miss fit into that? They, they don't. <laughs> it was absolutely the most obvious of all time. Laramie Tunzels was the offensive lineman. I tried to post a picture of him. Just Google Laramie Tunzel bong. And that's the guy. So, yeah, he was in the middle of the NFL draft hitting a bong and his stock dropped like a rock. And then the best part, if you remember that this beats Southern Cal and Alabama all the heck. So he goes to the post-draft press conference and they said, so it was reported on social media that the Ole Miss coaches gave you money. Did they give you money? He goes, oh yeah, they gave me money. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) oh yeah, you take a left to go to the stadium up there. It was, oh yeah, they gave me money. did and then one of his agent people came and pulled him off the press conference this is all happening during the draft yeah that was that was just an incredible night of where social media just overlaps with traditional broadcast media uh we're gonna take we're gonna get to uh the uh smoky hot takes tomorrow we're gonna have the best quarterback of the century and uh, we're going to have that so be Be sure and tune in tomorrow Uh, also we've got some uh, special guests lined up always josh warden fred white on a thursday and friday have a fantastic day morning afternoon evening whenever you're watching he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker this has been a presentation of off the hook sports